God, we honor you in this house. And we thank you. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. Huh. His presence is sweet in here. Would you turn, uh, take your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> How many of you know what the most famous scripture in the Bible is? If, if you were to say one, what would it be? John 3.16, yeah. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave. I want to stop right there because those first nine words of that scripture are so powerful because they give you the secret to what love is. The very essence of love is giving. See, I, can, I cannot love someone and, and give to them, but I, it's impossible to love them and not give to them. I love to give to my wife. I love to do things for her because I know what it does in her heart. I know how it affects her. And I, I, I can't love, say I love her and not do something for her. Amen? Oh, I'll give you guys another chance. Amen? <laughs> oh, good. Okay. All the husbands in the room. So... Uh, <laughs> It's, what it is, is, is when I give, it's the action that proves my love. See, if a guy, if you're in here and you're a single girl and a guy tells you that he loves you and he never does anything for you, I would question his love. Where's the proof? Jesus proved his love over and over and over. He loved you before anybody else loved you. We love him because he first loved us, amen? He, he is the one who loves us more than anyone. That's why he did everything for you that he did. And so I wanna look at an account where Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house in chapter seven. We're gonna begin in verse 36. And this Pharisee invites Jesus over. Jesus comes over to his house. He brings them in, they sit down to eat. And it says that there was a woman in the city that heard that Jesus was there at the Pharisee's table. And so she comes into his house and she brings an alabaster box of, of, of expensive perfume and she comes in and she begins to cry and wash his feet with her tears. Do you know how much you would have to cry to generate that kind of water to wash somebody's feet? I mean... So she's not just crying, she's bawling. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And she dries them with her hair. And then she anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume, this expensive perfume. And look at what happens. It says in verse 39 that the Pharisee who had invited him he spoke to himself, not where Jesus can hear him, but it says that this man, he says about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know the manner of woman this is that's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, answered his thoughts. And he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say on. Sounds pious. 
There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And the Pharisees saying, I love tests. I'm good at passing tests. And so he gives them the answer. I suppose the one you forgave the most. He forgave the most. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. And she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, which by the way was a common greeting when you came into someone's house. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. All of us, the entire human race was born into sin. All of us were born into sin. We came into this thing. There was no way around your entrance into the earth that didn't bring you into a sin generation. It was just a matter of time. You were going to sin, right? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this is why Jesus came was to destroy the devil's plan over your life. This sin nature, this sin consciousness that Jesus died came and died for so that you didn't have to live in that sin nature anymore. You and I didn't have to live sin conscious. We could live son and daughter conscious instead. All right. So all of us needed Jesus. But what we do is we tend to categorize sin. That is what this Pharisee is doing. He said, if you knew who was touching you, If he only knew who was touching him and how sinful this woman is. Well, he must be doing all right then. Priest. But let's think about this for a second. She has come in. She has washed his feet. She has dried them with her hair. She has kissed his feet. She has um, anointed his feet with perfume Everything that the Pharisee didn't do, she did. The Pharisee didn't do any of that. That was common practice. That was how you treated an honored guest, was you offered them something to wash their feet. Remember Jesus took off his clothes, he wrapped himself in a servant's cloth and he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet and he said, you go and do likewise. He was setting the standard. This is how you become a great leader. You go low and you serve. The Pharisee was too pious to do any of that for Jesus. He didn't do any of that of Jesus. He didn't even greet him with a, with a kiss. Even Judas had more sense to do that than the, own, than the Pharisee did. And so here's my point. Is that Jesus wanted the Pharisee to understand how much you've sinned is not the deciding factor with whether or not you love much. Because he was rating their sin. He was categorizing hers. She's a big big sinner, so she needs to do all that. Me, I'm not. 
I'm not near. Let me tell you, all of us were headed to the same place before Jesus died on the cross. So I don't know about you, but I, that puts pretty much everybody at the same, <laughs> same level. And so I have a responsibility to love much. Have you ever taught, have you ever, this happens frequently. I was, I was talking with somebody about this recently that, um, Have you ever heard this statement where, where people say, well, yeah, they were in a terrible car accident, but that needed to happen so they would finally turn back to God? Have you heard that before? I've heard that many times. No, 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 that's not the case. They had every opportunity to turn back. They waited until things got so bad that they had no alternative but to turn back. I heard about these two businessmen. Their business was doing so bad that they had tried everything to turn the thing around and they couldn't turn it around. And then one of them said, well, I suppose we ought to pray. And the other guy said, well, dear God, has it come to that? It's like, wait, you know, we should have done that first. <laughs> we probably should tithe and bless other businesses, you know? I mean, Joe Donaldson was telling me about how their business ties into different ministries and how God has blessed their ministry because of it. Just food for thought, by the way. But love much, we need to understand that we have been forgiven. That's what loving much says to God. When you love him much, it says that you understand I've been forgiven. Without you, I would have been heading in a terrible Ugh. So, so turn over to Second Samuel because I want to look at another person who was really good at loving much. Here, this, this woman that was a sinner, and by the way, she was forgiven. God forgave her. But I want to look in Second Samuel chapter 7. David is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. If you want to talk about men and women in the Bible, he's probably my, probably my favorite. And he had such a difficult time. He went from being anointed king to 14 years later, he's finally king of all Israel. He, he became king of Judah before then. Um, it didn't take as long as the whole nation. And so that's where he is in this point in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is he has, he has come to a place where God has given him great success in the kingdom. And it says in verse one, it says, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house that the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies on all sides. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, see how I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside a tent. So notice what he's saying is, wait a minute, he recognizes that God is the one that has blessed him, has blessed their nation has caused them to have peace with everyone else. And he's like, wait a minute, I live in this beautiful cedar house and God is dwelling in a tent. This is, a, this is not, this is an issue for him. So, and so what he's saying is God has given me success. What have I given him in return? How have I blessed him? I'm living in a cedar house. He's dwelling in a tent. So God, so David we know is, is a man that's called a man after God's own heart, right? 
Paul refers to him in Acts 13, verse 22. He says, but God removed Saul. He replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What does that mean, a man after my own heart? Well, the answer is in the rest of that verse. He will do everything I want him to do. That's a good definition of a person, a man and a woman that's after God's own heart is a person that will do everything that God wants them to do. Have you ever asked this, asked God this though? God, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? He's done a lot for me. In fact, I would venture to say that most Christianity has been about what he has done for us instead of about what we can do for him. And David flips the scripts on this. You can see why God chose him. I mean, this act, this very act of him even mentioning this reflects his deep love for the father. Ah. Oh. So David says, I want to build him a house, but not just any house, an exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the nations of the world. That sounds like quite a house. All right. So listen to how the Lord responds. He responds in verse four of chapter seven. And he says, go and tell my servant David. Notice how he refers to him, my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? He goes on to say, look, I have been in a tent for all these years. Ever since I asked, I gave Moses the plan to build the tabernacle. I've dwelt in a tent. I have traveled with you guys all over the place. I've been in a tent. Nobody has ever, I've never said to anybody, why have you not built me a cedar house? God says this. He says, I, I never said that to anybody. God is saying, wait a minute, you want to give me something that I didn't ask for. In 1996, it was a tough time for Nicole and I because we, uh, we were at a place where we had started over from the, I don't know how many times we did that, but we, it was one of those times. And we were starting over. And so we were living with my parents temporarily and, we, and Nicole was very, very, very pregnant with Zach. It was coming up to November. Zach was born on December 2nd. And actually, she gave birth on December 2nd at, what, 1130-ish at night. And uh, the next day, I had an interview uh, with a company, a Christian company there in Tulsa. And, and I went to the interview. And the, I remember distinctly the owner because my friend told him, yeah, Phil just had a baby last night. He said, wait a minute, you just had a baby last night and you're here? He goes, hire this man. <laughs> Anybody that would, you know, come to an interview right after you've had a baby. So... Yeah, so if you ever have a baby, just go for it. No, I'm teasing. And um, anyway, I, and so here we are, 1996, and God blessed me on that job. We were able to purchase our first home through that job, but this was leading up to that. We hadn't gotten paid yet, so we're still, you know, pretty slim on funds. And so Nicole and I had decided that we weren't going to give each other a Christmas gift that year. Well, it wasn't my fault. My dad took me to the mall because he wanted to buy some stuff for mom. And so I'm just at the mall at, in the jewelry aisle at Dillard's and looking at these earrings thinking, you know, those are inexpensive and they're cute. 
I want to buy my wife some earrings. And so I bought my wife the earrings, came back, gave them to her on Christmas. And her eyes welled up with tears. And she said, we said we weren't going to get each other anything. I thought, well, surprise. I wanted to bless my wife. I didn't want to not be able to do anything. And by the way, I checked today to make sure you still had them. And she does. They <laughs> just want to make sure that I wasn't lying on this next statement because those are very precious to you. <laughs> okay. All right. I gave her something that she didn't ask for. How precious is it when people bless you with things that you didn't ask for? Doesn't that mean the world to you? Man, I remember my dad, the first time I'd ever seen a $20 bill in my life. And I was like 10 years old. And my dad came up to me and he said, you're doing a really good job with the chores around the house. I just wanted you to know, I wanted to bless you. And he handed me a $20 bill. I thought, wow, I thought I could buy a house with $20 bill. So let's look at verse eight. And this is where God, God says, now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, Israel. They're his people. Notice he says, my people. We're stewards. God owns this whole thing. And we are responsible to be stewards. Nicole and I don't have people. We get the privilege to pastor and steward Vision Church because you're God's people. Amen. So verse 16, look at what God says. God, God goes on to say this. He says, look, you gave me something I didn't ask for, so I'm going to give you something you didn't ask for. And he said, I am going to make your kingdom last forever. He said, of your kingdom, there will be no end. And Jesus is the one that made that happen. He was of the line of David. And God honored that. He honored that even, even when the Israelites messed it all up because God is always true to his word. You read all through, David was an amazing king, but they, it was all downhill from there. There were, there were a few scattered good kings, but the majority of them walked, departed from the faith, walked far from God. And yet God held on to that. And he said many times, for David's sake, I will do this. For David's sake. See, because David loved him with a, an extravagant love. And guess what? He didn't have to come to the end of his rope. I've heard Todd White's testimony. He talks a lot about his testimony and how he was shot at point blank range with a nine millimeter. And God said, I took those bullets for you. Will you give your life to me? And some people tell him, well, it's because you've been forgiven so much. That's why you love so much. Uh -uh. He's chosen to love God that much. It's a choice. It's a free will choice. I love my wife based on a choice that I made 31 years ago. Let me tell you something. I'm no more married now than I was 31 years ago. Commitment means the same. Means the same today. But he, here's what he said. He said, David, I love your heart. But this is what God says in 1 Chronicles 28. He says, you shall not build the house for my name because you have been a man of war 
and have shed blood, but your offspring will build it. <clears throat> now, he didn't, you remember David when they first try, tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant? And he didn't bring it in the prescribed way. They put it on a new cart, carried it with oxen. Remember Uzzah, he reached out and steadied it when it hit the, hit the button, it killed him. Hit the bump, I mean, the button, bump. And, and it killed him. So, so, but then he realized we need to bring it in the prescribed way. So the Levites are the only ones that had authority to even carry the ark. And they had a purification process, right? So, so he can't build it, but look at what he does. Because I think it's interesting that sometimes God will not allow you to do something that's good. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. He's our guide. He's our Director, Look at what happened uh, with Paul. Over in Acts 16, Paul, in verse 6, he has a good idea, but it's not God's idea for their ministry at the time. And he says this in verse 6. He says, now, when they had gone through Phrygia to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Do the people in Asia need the gospel of Jesus Christ? then why can't he go there? Because he was forbidden. <laughs> Thank you, James. I, I'm not the one that sets the perimeters on this. My job is to say, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. You don't get to argue with God. Some, sometimes I've, I've, begged our, I've begged God. I remember we were in Austin, Texas, working for a church down there, and I... I I just basically had a not good attitude over something that the pastor had done. And I know nobody here would do that because you guys are so nice. But I, I did. And man, I would go into the auditorium in the dark like this and I would just lay on my face before God and cry out to God. And I literally asked God if I could leave. And the Holy Spirit showed me a transfer request in the spirit. I saw this transfer request, had my name on it, had my information, even my social security number was on there. And it came back with this big red stamp that said, transfer denied. I took that to mean that the Holy Spirit wanted me to stay because he wanted me to grow up and to develop some tough skin and to get over myself. And he, oh, he helped me. And I did. I got over myself. Oh. See, because sometimes we think, well, bless God, it's the truth and they need to hear it. I need to tell that family member that they need to get right with God. They may not make heaven. No, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit because it's not what you say or the power with which you say it. It's what will they receive? If they don't receive it and all they see is my rant and rave, and I think I'm doing, a, I'm doing God a service because bless God, it's the truth. Now, wait a minute. You're supposed to communicate the truth in love. Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And see, there's people that I connect with that some of you may not connect with. But there's people you connect with that I may not connect with. That's why it takes the body of Christ 
That's why sometimes you feel this urge to go and to say something to someone. In the mall, you've never talked to them before. You're at the dry cleaning. And God tells you, pray for that lady. Ask that lady, God, this is why we need to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by our flesh. If I just blast angry posts online, what am I doing? Who am I building? What am I accomplishing? I've not communicated until someone's received. So Paul has this thing happen. He sees a vision in verse nine where he sees this man from Macedonia saying, please come and help us. And it says that he concluded that the Lord had called him to preach in Macedonia. It's not that God didn't care about Asia or Bithynia or any of those other places. It's that he had a plan for Paul's life. God has a plan for our life, amen? Woo! So God wouldn't let David build the temple. So David did the next best thing. You know what he did? He began to prepare. He said this in in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. It says, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David begins to amass wealth. He begins to amass all of these precious metals, these precious stones, all these treasures, and he begins to I don't know, put them in a warehouse, put them in a place where they would be secure for Solomon when he builds the temple, right? So David is putting all of this stuff together. And as he's putting it together, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit, God, by the Holy Spirit, gives him the plan for the temple, just like he gave Moses the plan for the tabernacle. Piece by piece, brick by brick. In fact, it says it in 1 Chronicles 28. The first part is in verse 12, where the, it says the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. And then down in verse 19, all this, David said, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans, plans to build the temple. Whew. The plan was given to David by the Spirit of God. And the interesting thing is he amassed so much wealth. Look at how much David loves God. He puts all this wealth together. Do you know what, the, what theologians estimate the wealth was worth in today's money? Well over 200 billion, B, billion dollars. I'd say that, that would make a pretty big ring, wouldn't it? Two billion, pretty big rock. So if David without seeing the Messiah, even though he prophesied about the Messiah coming, but not having experienced the new covenant, the new generation, what you and I have have experienced, and he loves God that much, what about you and I? What about you and I? Because we have a part in building this house. So I, I, I've been preaching about prayer. I've been preaching about abiding in God. I've been preaching about intimacy with God. I've preached about the fear of God. And now we have been assigned this task with procuring God's most precious commodity, people. And that's why we're starting 
the class, not this Wednesday because you guys are invited this Wednesday. We're going to be <clears throat> praying with Centro Cristiano on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. They're having a prayer night, first of the year prayer night. They do it every year. And uh, when we found out that they weren't going to be having youth group and kids and everything, I said, well, can we join your prayer? And can we pray with you guys? So we're going to pray with them. But then the following Wednesday, not this Wednesday, the next Wednesday, we're starting a seven-week study. It's a sit-down conversation on putting, giving you tools, putting things in your belt that Gary and John and I are going to share together. And we're going to be able to do Q&A as well because we want to make sure that all of us have all the tools that we need to be able to share the gospel with people. Why is this important? Well, I want to share a vision that Lester Summerall had. The church where I grew up, uh, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty in, in Tulsa and Victory. Back then it was Victory Christian Center. Now it's Victory Church. He, uh, Lester Summerall was like a spiritual father to Pastor Billy Joe. And so he had him come often. And he shared a vision one Sunday that he had. About And it was an aerial vision. So it was like his vantage point was like from a helicopter. And he was way above and there was a sea of people as far as you could see. And all of the people were running in the same direction. I mean, they were flat out running. And they were all running together. And he said in the helicopter, like his vantage point, came over the people until he got to a part where he could see that there was an extreme drop off a cliff. And it dropped into blackness, nothing. I mean, and people were being pushed off the cliff because what would happen is they would run, they were running so fast that by the time they realized that there was a cliff, they tried to stop and the people behind them would accidentally push them forward and they would fall into the cliff or into the the abyss and he asked he woke up from the vision and he said Lord what is that and he said the people are humanity and they're running because that's how short their life is scripture says that your life is a vapor here today gone tomorrow one day you and I will, will be gone. Either Jesus will come back or we'll step into, turn, into eternity because there is no death in Jesus. You just transition. You trans, thank God, you transition out of this raggedy thing that's aging, <laughs> getting older, and you transition into glory. And then one day you're gonna, you're gonna get a brand new one of these. Yeah. It'll be amazing. But when he was sharing this testimony, when he was sharing this vision that he had, he said, a part of the re people running means time is short. Time is short. So many people are running and they're coming quickly to the end of their life. And they're thinking the people that are slowing down and trying to stop are the people that, that, they want to change their life and they want to get things right, right, but they've reached the end. And how many of you know that's, that's, that's not the point that you want to be making the decision? 
because you and I are not promised the next moment. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next moment. Do you know what the only thing is that we're promised? The moment that we're in right now because we're here. We're not promised the next moment. And so we're all gonna step into eternity one day. And I'm not prepared to step in there and then say, stand before God. Where he says, did you talk to so-and-so? Remember, I put it on your heart to call him for weeks. You didn't. I, I, listen, I, I don't, I'm not trying to preach a message that makes you feel bad. I'm trying to preach a message that tells us the urgency of what we're in. Because a Republican president is not, is not going to be your savior. It's not going to be. Patrick is not the savior of the county, Washington County. Thank God for him. We thank God that he's in that office because we want righteous people in those offices. That's so important. And they have made tremendous sacrifice to be able to be there. But I'm telling you, where, what's our sacrifice going to be? What kind of love are we going to give the Father? Because one of the things that we, the, one of the ways that we can love him is begin to tell others about him. Because I don't know about you, we, we have had some really good word, especially in the last six months. Ever since we moved in to this new facility, we have heard amazing messages about the fear of God and about intimacy with God. But see, all that is building us up, building us up for what? so that we can go out, so that we can minister to people and not wait until we have a platform, not wait until we have a sound system and, a, and an Instagram account and we have thousands of followers. Wow. Would you bow your heads all around the auditorium? <clears throat> I want to do two, um, two calls for the altar. The first one is this, is if you're here and you're not, you're not where you need to be in your relationship with God. Either you're away from him and you need to come back or you're at a place, a crossroads where you haven't made a decision yet and you want to make that decision today. Because let me tell you, you don't want to put this off because putting it off is a decision. You're saying no. Well, I got to think about it. That, you've already made a decision. But I want to encourage you. This is the day. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. This is your day. And I want to pray for you if that's you. But secondly, you know what? Let's just do that one first. If that's you, you've been away from God, you want to come back or you're making that decision for the first time. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Yeah.